One day I had an idea. I called the boys to the gym and gave them an old soccer ball. I showed them two peach baskets I'd nailed up at each end of the gym. And I told them the idea was to throw the ball into the opposing team's peach basket. I blew a whistle and the first game of basketball began. a long, hard winter, and high school basketball was the only thing in town, the only game in town. This is the 1953 beach team, the Buccaneers, entrant in the state class B 1953 tourney, being held at Minor. And the goal in life was to play in the state tournament. That's no good. Rebound is pulled down underneath by Hampton. Coming to you from the vast and windy, wide-open plains of North Dakota, this is the Dakota Ball Podcast, an explorative journey into small-town living and Midwestern dreams of big-time high school basketball. The Glenol and Hebron girls basketball team entered the season needing to replace four of its top six players. Glenol and Hebron, the champions of Region 7 and state for the first time. They are the true Cinderella story of this tournament. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Dakota Ball Podcast. I'm your host, James Walner. I want to start by thanking everyone who listened to the first episode. Thank you so much to those of you who have written encouraging emails. The podcast already has listeners from around the United States, as well as from several countries, including Sweden, France, Canada, Germany, the Netherlands, Japan, and more. And I also want to explain to those of you who are new to podcasting a little bit about what this all is, I guess. You know, if you are new to podcasting, don't feel embarrassed for not understanding all the terminology. A lot of people don't listen to podcasts or are just kind of now getting into it. Some people asked about what does this mean to subscribe to a podcast? Well, it has nothing to do with money. This podcast, the Dakota Ball podcast, is free and it's always going to be free. When people talk about subscribing to a podcast, that just means you want to know when a new episode has come out. And there's different ways of subscribing to a podcast. And if you go to dakotaball.org, the website, dakotaball.org, there is a link to subscribe to this podcast. And there are several different ways to do that. So again, this podcast is free to listen to and always will be. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, this is episode two. And in episode one, we learned a lot about a time that has been referred to as the golden era of basketball in the Dakotas. If you've not listened to episode one, I really recommend that you start there and enjoy interviews and entertaining stories from a time before shot clocks and three-point lines and Gatorade was invented. It's really quite interesting, so please have a listen if you have not already. Before I jump into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I'd like to try to explain a little more about what this podcast really is, because it might confuse some of you. You may think, hey, what is this? Is this a podcast about sports or history or about living in small towns or crazy blizzards in the winter? What the heck is this, really? Well, in a way, it's all of the above, kind of, because they are all related and intertwined. Basketball, small towns, harsh winters, a need for entertainment, and a sense of community are all ingredients that in some ways showcase at least one part of Midwestern living. And this podcast will showcase that one part. I've already received some reviews on iTunes and some feedback from people who have said, 
I'm not even into sports or basketball, but I'm really captivated by this podcast. And that's exactly the way I want it to be. I've been saying all along, basketball is about people. And this podcast is about people. In fact, I'd like you to consider basketball as the vehicle that moves this podcast series along. It is the vehicle, or we could call it a bus, a basketball bus, that will take you from episode to episode. It's the common thread. And at each episode, this basketball bus will take you to a new place where you can disembark and enter a new world, meet new people, and learn new things. That might be a basketball team, or a player, or a coach, or a community. But the point is that it will bring you real stories from real people in a beautiful part of the world. For those of you who are listening from more congested areas, I hope you don't mind me using that term, but that's the way I see it, congested. You might have a different word for it, a city that never sleeps or something, New York or Los Angeles, Stockholm, Sweden. By following along on this podcast, you're going to be exposed to a world that you've perhaps never seen or even really been able to imagine. So I wanted to point this out. If you hear someone on this podcast say, I live in a town, population 125. They don't mean 125,000 people. They mean 125 people. In fact, I interviewed someone for an up-and-coming episode who lives in a town, population 5. She didn't mean 500 even, or 5,000 people. She meant 5 people. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And we're going to meet people who live in places where there is no stoplight in the whole county. I mean, I think it's safe to say that if you are sitting there in New York, Stockholm, or Tokyo, this is a different world. And, you know, if you already live in this part of the world, I think you will find this interesting, too. You'll hopefully find it of interest to discover how so many newcomers to your home state have embraced North Dakota or South Dakota lifestyles. And we're going to meet people who have lived their whole lives here as well, not just newcomers, as well as people who left it forever for bigger places. And yes, part of this podcast will be following the high school basketball season here in North Dakota during the 17-18 season. That, of course, is much more relatable to local listeners. But if you're sitting in San Diego or Seattle or Tokyo, you might be thinking, well, how can I relate to that? But I will suggest that you follow along anyway. Maybe as a fun alternative to marathoning Netflix and Amazon, why not get to know and maybe follow and adopt a distant community and basketball team, if nothing else, just to do something different? I know sometimes I find it enjoyable and refreshing to be taken to another world, to kind of uh, escape my daily surroundings in life. That's what movies do and novels do, and that's what this podcast can do for you too. So I really mean it when I say you're so welcome to get on this basketball bus and come along for a ride across a beautiful part of the world that you may or may not already be familiar with. Now in this episode two, we're going to continue a little bit at first looking backwards into the 1950s. Uh, episode one looked into how big basketball was in the 1950s in South Dakota and North Dakota, and we're going to continue a little bit with that because I interviewed the man who made the movie Hoosiers. And it's a really nice interview, and that's coming up for you here first. And then after that, we're going to meet Bray Fox. Bray Fox is the coach of the girls' high school basketball team in the town I live in, the uh, Glen Ellen Hebron Lady Bearcats basketball team, who got to the state tournament last year. Unfortunately, they did not win any games at the state tournament this year, last year, but we're getting all of our starters back, and it's going to be real fun following this team again this season, as well as following all the other teams in this region and around the state. Finally, we'll take a little closer look at what an underdog is and why we like them, um, at least from the perspective of sports psychology. I really think you're going to enjoy it. So let's jump into this episode 
But before we do that, I just want to explain a couple things. You'll hear people referring to something called consolidation in this podcast. And what they're talking about is when you consolidate one or more schools, or two or more schools, I should say, for the purposes of sustaining a sports team. Populations start to dwindle or schools enrollment dwindles in order to have a team. Sometimes schools out here need to get together, basically join with two or three other teams to have basketball or football team. And joining together sort of sounds great, but consolidation is a little bit controversial because communities have such a strong identity and, and bond to their own high school and mascot and team that it's a little bit hard to get your head around at first, I'm sure, joining forces with neighboring school and team who used to be your rival. And the other thing I wanted to just point out is that later on in this interview, you will hear Bray Fox, the coach of the local girls team, mention bringing up eighth graders and seventh graders to the varsity. That really happens. You didn't hear him wrong. And, and we're, we're in small communities. And even with consolidation, it's not a given that you're going to get together a whole basketball squad. So as odd as that might sound to some of you, I know growing up in California, we never saw seventh or eighth graders on a varsity team. In fact, it makes me think about how, you know, the advantages of living in a small community. I know as myself, as a seventh or eighth grader, if I had lived in a small town like this, I probably would have seen some varsity time myself. And, and how would have that changed my game? I, being exposed to that tougher competition at a younger age could have been good for me. I don't know. Anyway, I just want to explain that a little bit. And uh, let's jump into episode two with my interview with Angelo Pizzo, the screenwriter behind the movie Hoosiers. What happened to my scout? Playing Verdi tonight. Bear die, huh? Well, we're tough. If you're a basketball fan or just a movie fan, it's kind of likely that you've seen the movie Hoosiers. The movie was inspired by real events, that of Milan High School, whose 1954 boys basketball team won the state tournament in Indiana. Milan High School was a small school. In fact, it's the smallest school to ever win the state tournament in Indiana. And to make it even more impressive, uh, it was a single-class tournament. So it wasn't just a B tournament with the smaller schools and things like that. This was the state tournament of Indiana. I want you to be my assistant. I want you to come to the practices and uh, sit on the bench with me during the games. <laughs> me? <laughs> you want me? <laughs> what do you say? Uh, under the following conditions that you uh, show up at the games on time and the practices and you wear a shirt and tie. Well, I got myself a suit right there. I've I got a wingdinger. I, yeah. I was married in that suit too. And that you're sober. I recently interviewed the movie's creator, Angelo Pizzo. I spoke with him over the phone one Sunday afternoon as he traveled across Indiana. I started out by asking him, how he researched his project when he was writing the screenplay. Uh, my name is Angelo Pizzo. Uh, I'm a filmmaker. I wrote and produced Hoosiers and Rudy, and I wrote and directed My All American. Even though I did a lot of research, I didn't need to do a tremendous amount of research because Bloomington, Indiana is where Indiana University is. But it was surrounded by a lot of very tiny high schools like Milan. And uh, I, I became very familiar with high school basketball in the 50s because I was a great schooler then. I was too young to remember the Milan State Championship because I was six then. I, I was immersed in that world, and it's when, when in fact, uh, high school basketball meant so much more than it does today, uh, in part because 
uh, this is before consolidation, there were 767 schools, high schools in Indiana. I think they're probably closer to 400 now. When it came time to write the script, I did a tremendous amount of research. I talked to uh, the former players. I I talked to uh, coaches uh, who coached during that period of time, and I also uh, went to the county seat where, where the library was, and I read um, a couple of years of microfiche of the newspaper. Let's go, guys. All right, listen. After Ollie makes his second shot, and you will make your second shot, get back on defense right away. Now, if, if, if you want to talk about specifically basketball itself, uh, in terms of how the guys played, we we brought on um, some mavens, some experts, including a friend of ours in college. His father was a, a, a successful high school coach in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and uh, we used him as a consultant. He would coach them in a 50-style ball to make sure that, uh, that that everything that they did was accurate. We also, by the way, had a full tape of the championship game in 1954 that Milan won. So we had visual reference points. Tomorrow night, 15,000 cheering fans will pack Madison Square Garden in New York City to witness a giant basketball doubleheader. In that cheering crowd, sitting in row C, seat 11, will be a modest 77-year-old man, Dr. James A. Naismith, the inventor of basketball. And uh, what rules did you have for your new games, Dr. Naismith? Well, I didn't have enough, and that's where I made my big mistake. The boys began tackling, kicking and punching in the clinches. They ended up in a free-for-all in the middle of the gym floor. Before I could pull them apart, one boy was knocked out, several of them had black eyes, and one had a dislocated shoulder. It certainly was murder. <laughs> Angela, could you tell us why basketball became such a big deal in Indiana? Well, yes, of course. I've been asked that question many times. Uh, why Indiana? And uh, it's a, there's a historical connection. There was a uh, an acolyte of James Naismith who invented basketball. The, the school that that he was teaching at Springfield College. A student there. I think his. I can't. I think his name is. Uh, oh, I'm blanking up. So the name uh, Angelo is trying to come up with here is Reverend Nicholas McKay, apparently. Uh, McKay was taking charge of the Crawfordville YMCA, and he felt this game of basketball that he had learned from Dr. Naismith might help uh, the athletes in the winter months in Indiana. Anyway, he came to Indiana to start to work as an athletic director, and he's the one who introduced basketball to Indiana, and it just kind of caught on. Well, after that first match, I was afraid they'd kill each other, but they kept nagging me to let them play again, so I made up some more rules. The most important one was that there should be no running with the ball. That stopped tackling and slugging. We tried out the game with those rules, and we didn't have one casualty. We had a fine, clean sport. And part of why it caught on is because of, I would say, a number of different reasons. The majority of the communities in Indiana at that time were farming communities. In the um, winter, there wasn't much for, for them to do. Gate communities a sense of pride. It was very tribal. It was about bragging rights, and it was about identity. Ten years later, basketball was being played all over the country. And in 1936, I saw it played for the first time at the Olympic Games. And the whole thing started with a couple of peach baskets I put up in a little gym 
48 years ago. Another factor was because farmers and farming community, uh, farming families had to be inside for so long in the cold winters, there wasn't a place to kind of release uh, their energy, their mania, their excitement. I mean, I suppose church would be one of them, but uh, this was, uh, and I remember going into these high schools and you would see people who might be very politically, uh, religiously opposite, and there were obviously political differences, uh, even back then. <laughs> and uh, but everybody was shoulder to shoulder cheering for, for the same thing. And uh, it, it gave permission for people to be, to release. The energy in these places, and I remember them very well, is unlike, it's hard to describe. And that's what we tried to capture. Jimmy, they're going to be expecting you to take the last shot. We're going to use you as a decoy. Buddy, you get the ball, give them a on the picket fence. He's going to take the last shot. All right, let's go. So, Angelo, in the town I live in, the local high school girls basketball team got to the state tournament last year for the first time. And although they didn't win any games at state this year, we're getting all of our starters back. And I was wondering if the creator of the movie Hoosiers has any words of wisdom or encouragement or warning or anything at all to share with the Glen Ullen Heron Lady Bearcats basketball squad. <laughs> well, I would say the most effective thing a coach can do is to create a level of belief and confidence that these kids are destined to win this game, that they are the better team when they go out there. And it's uh, it's just a matter of living out your destiny. You, you deserve to be there. You should be there. And if you play to your capabilities, that's what Gene Hackman says, then you're going to win the game. It's really as simple as that. It's maximizing potential. It's believing in each other. It's believing in um, all the hard work that you put in is going to pay off. And, uh, and having the confidence that it's their time, that this is destiny, this is fate. Uh, coincidentally, I'm finishing one uh, script up now, and the next script I write after that is a story of a high school basketball team in 1957 in the state of Iowa. And why is it different than Hoosiers? It's Women's basketball, ball. right? It's girls, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. I'm partnering with the author of a book and also Bo Ryan, former Wisconsin basketball coach. Girls basketball in Iowa in the 50s was unique. In the history of, of high school sports or college sports or any sport in our country, there's never been a case where the women's side of the sport was bigger than the men's side. Uh, the average the average attendance for a state championship game in Iowa during the 50s was close to 20,000 for the girls and, uh, and 10,000 for the boys. Now, where have you ever seen that? How did this culture, where did this come from? The second aspect of why I agreed to do it uh, is that I have written 20 plus maybe 26, 27 screenplays. I've never, I've never written a movie with a female protagonist. And so now I, I'm going to have like five of them or more, or more. Those of you who have seen the movie Hoosiers probably remember the actor Dennis Hopper, who played Shooter, that alcoholic father of one of the players whom coach Norman Dale took under his wing. Hopper earned an Academy Award nomination for the role, and I asked Angelo to explain how that character came to be. So what happened was I had this vision of character as being, you know, a dark soul. And the character actor at the time that was 
best representative of that color or lack of color was uh, Harry Dean Sant. Harry Dean was the first person we offered it to, and he turned it down. And so all of a sudden we were scratching our heads and uh, and trying to figure out um, what to do. The director, David Anspaugh, ran into Dennis Hopper at a restaurant. He didn't even know he was sober. He didn't even know that he was back with a living because he sort of disappeared for 10 years. And um, he came into me. He said, I think Dennis Hopper would be perfect. You know, he's already been through this rehab and been sober for, you know, uh, two or two years. And, and I said, really? I said, I, and I, it was hard for me to grasp it at the time, but I said, let's, let's meet him. So uh, we, we, he came into the office, and he looked at us, and he looked really vulnerable and kind of like, you know, his eyes were darting around. He just said, I know this guy. And, uh, and uh, I remember David and I uh, getting up and shaking his hand. But you're it. You're the guy. Should be open, swinging around the end of that fence. Now, boys, don't get caught watching a paint drive. What Dennis brought to it was so many different colors. He brought a sweetness, a vulnerability. He brought uh, humor. Uh, and, uh, you know, he he had a light, you know. And he, he brought a rainbow of colors that so very grateful to him. And, and that's the serendipity of getting that movie made. Many, many thanks to Angelo Pizzo for taking the time to speak with me here at the Dakota Ball Podcast. And if you've not seen the movie Hoosiers, you have really missed something special, and you ought to head over to Amazon Prime or something like that and enjoy the movie. I, for one, look forward to Angelo's new project about Iowa girls basketball in the 1950s. Hey everybody, we'll get right back to this episode in a minute, but first, here's a sneak preview of things to come in future episodes. Many people believe that the 1977 State Boys B Finals in North Dakota was the most exciting game ever played. We're going to go back in time and experience it again. And we're going to take a little road trip around South Dakota and North Dakota and meet people in tiny towns and find out what it's like to live there and meet people who moved there from California and other places, talk to people who left those places, and people who stayed there their whole lives. Oh, it, to this day, if the, if the word Epping comes up, they remember it. Not only do they remember it, they remember where they were at, what they did, what they ate for supper, before the game, they, they remember everything. One of the premier television events of the century, I think, in North Dakota. I don't know where you are or what you're doing tonight, but I hope wherever you are, you're having as much fun as we are here. This is the story of how two teams got to the 1977 state final. The Hillsborough Burroughs against Tiny Epping, enrollment 23 in grades 9 through 12. What resulted was a fever pitch, David versus Goliath atmosphere at the Bismarck Civic Center, and no one who was there that night will ever forget. Uh, these Allard brothers are really tough. Stolen again by Bob Allard. My name is Bob Allard. I was uh, born in 1960. Grew up in a small town on a farm eight miles 
south of Epping. Would you guys recommend uh, other people to move here? Yeah, yeah, to Golden Valley. Why is that? Uh, because this town rocks. How many people live here? 187 was the last count. Yeah, because Dodge is smaller, but y'all actually got more than we do. You have gas. No gas station, no convenience store. Um, this is what we have. Saddle Source Saloon. <laughs> So would you uh, recommend to other California ladies out there to move to South Dakota? It depends what, what, you're, what you're after. I live in the middle of nowhere. I, you yeah. know, there's nothing going on out here. And I think it's, it's a dream come true. But to somebody else yeah. you know, who wants to do yoga classes or go to Starbucks or whatever, they'd say, oh, this is hell. <laughs> yeah. All this and more in up-and-coming episodes of the Dakota Ball Podcast. Introducing the Region 7 champions, the Glen Ellen Hebron Lady Bearcat. Assistant coach for Glen Ellen Hebron is Shelly Christensen, and the head coach is Bray Fox. And now uh, my name is Bray Fox. Uh, I was actually born overseas on a military base in Germany, and then uh, we moved back to the States when I was in first or second grade or something like that, and then bounced around school to school before ending up in North Dakota as a sophomore. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to high school in Edgeley. So you play sports in high school, I assume? I did, yeah. I, I played football all the way throughout. Tried wrestling. It wasn't really for me. Uh, played Legion baseball throughout the summer and then finally picked up basketball when I was a senior. I mean, you're a big guy, so uh, seems like football would be your thing. Yeah, I, I ended up playing one year at Valley City State and then uh, blew my knee out and then just didn't play oh. anymore. How tall are you? 6'3". So what got, what got you into coaching? Um, you know, the, the teaching part of it was, was always going to kind of be a guarantee. That's what I went to Valley City for, was for the teaching program. And then uh, a roommate of mine was coaching for the uh, City League, the Parks and Rec, 4th, 5th, and 6th grade girls. And I ended up going down just because it was a quick, easy job. Figured I'd make a couple hundred bucks and be good after a couple weeks. And that kind of sparked an interest in it. And then... Got involved with Valley City Junior High football and then just kind of steamrolled from there. Moving out to Carson for the first job, um, they didn't have football available for me to coach, so I ended up picking up elementary basketball, junior high mm -hmm. basketball, and I think I helped out with track a little bit too. So last season here in uh, Hebron, Glen Olin, you were coaching how many teams? I had both the uh, the boys and the girls, and... Really, the only reason that came about is I had a, a handful of senior boys that played football for me, and they were on me every day on the way to practice. <laughs> hey, did you hear anything? Are you coaching? What are you doing? What's the situation? And okay. those boys work so hard, and it's just it's. I would have hated to see them just kind of waste a season, so I figured, well, I might as well let her rip. I mean, in my mind, coaching one team, a varsity high school team, is a 24/7 type of deal. You're, but oh no, it, it it's was a lot of work. It was definitely stressful, and and I made sure before taking on, I, I, I checked with my wife first, and and she just, I told her right out the gate, it's a one-year deal, and she knew the boys too, and and she does, she knows my passion for coaching, and and she knew that you know if if I was gonna do it and said it was gonna be one year, it for sure was gonna be one year, and. Cleared it with her, and then the, the next thing I had to do, I wanted to clear it with my assistant, and then I had to clear it with my girls. And my assistant was all on board. Shelly was, was totally in on it. 
Um, Shelly Christensen is your assistant coach, yep. correct? She's back next year too? Yep. And what? and Shelly is, she's kind of gone through a couple of head coaches just because of people moving in and changing schools and whatnot. And she's been kind of the one constant thing through the program. Um, honestly, I, I know for a fact, and I've said this multiple times, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her help. I mean, she does so much stuff behind the scenes between stats and taking care of all the little small things. I, I honestly didn't even realize what all ended up going into the state, getting things ready for state, sending rosters all over the place, and she had everything handled and taken care of so I could just focus on the coaching. Well, last season, well, let's go back two years ago. I saw you got to the finals of the regionals two years ago, correct? Against yep. Trinity. What was it like in the locker room after that game? Well, I mean, even even leading into that, you know, it, before I took over the girls' position here, I really had a rough two years. I, I took over the boys' program in Grant County and uh, had some really good teams, and we kind of fizzled out in the districts, and I almost just decided, you know what, I'm just not made for this. I, I have fun. I can win a lot of games regular season, but postseason I just don't have it. And I lucked into getting into the girls' position, and the girls' position – and uh, that first year, the girls didn't know what to expect, and we end up winning more games in a single season than any other Lady Bearcat team, and we get to the third place, and everybody's happy, and we're going, we're nuts, we're going crazy, and we're excited, and and we talked about even then that the next season we got to do better. We want to try to get into that regional championship game, and and we, you know, it ended up being at Dickinson High. It was a neutral floor, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a little bit smaller. But that was a good thing. I mean, it was floor-to-ceiling people. They had to bring chairs to tuck down and around for that championship night. And and I know after we won the first game, it was a big deal, and everyone's excited because mm-hmm. you get to play that second and third night guaranteed. And then we ended up winning that second game against Beach, and Beach is always known for being tough. Ball Waldahl has won tons of games for Beach. And, and I think that even might have been the last game he coached. So, I mean, knowing that I got to coach in one of the last games yeah. that Bob Waldahl got to coach in, and that was just awesome and that was fun. And and then uh, going up against Trinity, we had just beaten Trinity, I think, the week before at Trinity that. on parents' that. night, and, and our girls were really excited about it. And I think part of that one was just me overthinking it. I know that night before the practice, the practice before the the championship game, I'm like, all right, they're gonna try to change this, they're gonna do this. I got into my own head and try to change too much. And I mean, we didn't shoot very well throughout the entire game. It was still mm-hmm. only an eight or a ten point ball game going into the fourth quarter. And our girls thrive on that. You know, we we've come to just we don't quit. We'll keep playing no matter what the score is. Mm. You know, that one really I mean it it, it just it, I felt like I failed on that one and it's just kind of like, you know, I hate to see that I had a good group of seniors go out and mm. I mean it's just it was it it hung heavy on me. The Dickinson Trinity and Glen Allen Hebron girls basketball teams met Thursday in the Region 7 championship game at a packed Dickinson High School gymnasium. Sophomore forward Kayana Schatz had 10 points and 10 rebounds for the Bearcats, who entered the tournament as the number six seed and were trying to make their first ever trip to the state tournament. The top seeded Titans held Glenall and Hebron to 20% shooting from the field and just 6%. Well, let's go to the last season then. Um, I did want to ask you about your then sophomores, now juniors, Kristen and Lexi. Well, and, and Lexi and Kristen are kind of in a unique situation. I asked Kristen to skip her eighth grade year and come up and play with me because I, I we only had, I think, six or seven varsity girls that first year. So she ended up skipping her whole eighth grade year. She's been playing for me now for three, four years. 
Lexi played her eighth grade year, and then she came up and joined us afterwards. And then, yeah, she was tucked a little bit, but she did. They, they both were in a really good position to learn from uh, Michaela Gerving and Taya Bandel and, and learn how to be aggressive and physical in the paint. And, I mean, when you're seventh and eighth graders having to play yeah. juniors and seniors, you know, you, you, you have to get better. You don't have a choice, otherwise you can't really compete. You know, yeah, they, they, they both play a huge role in what we do. Um, a lot of girls' teams, I've noticed, if you've got one or two workhorses, you can find success. But if you've got three, four, five girls that can be consistent playmakers, you 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 got something special. And uh, Lexi stepped into the role right out the gate. I mean, she she chips in defensively, rebounds are big, and then she can mm-hmm. add offense. Kristen, you know, she hit her stride later in the season. She had, I think, a 20-point game against Trinity at home to end wow. the regular season. And, and uh, you know, if she can find that confidence and she can continue yeah. to build on it, she's going to be a very dominant player over the next two years. I really enjoyed watching both of them. I thought they did an excellent job. Yeah. Um, so you guys win. <laughs> I don't know if you coined it or the press coined this the um, term cardiac cats last year i think i threw it in a trinity interview or whatnot after we beat bowman um that that game specifically too i mean that was one of those ones where you know you're down 15 in the first quarter it's just kind of like well now what the the first (laughs) that first night taking it to trinity that was that was big for our girls i mean trinity has always been a rival for our girls and taking it to them on their home floor like that that was that that kind of lit the fuel under our girls that hey we can (laughs) really do this but then that next night coming out against Hedinger Hedinger wasn't backing down Hedinger came at us full go I don't think we had a lead until that last four seconds I mean and that was off of a, a huge three hit by Kennedy and and I mean I, we drew it up to have either Kennedy or Kiana take the shot, and they doubled down on Kiana, left Kennedy open. Five, four, three, two, but then that last night against Bowman, yeah, they just, I mean, we start out down, I think, 19-4 or 17-4 or something like that, and back of my mind, like, no, here we go again. You know, we've got a poor night shooting. It's going to be a repeat from last year. We're going to take second again kind of deal. And then they chip away at it. I think it's like an eight-point ball game at half. And then, you know, like I said, our girls, we've been in that position all the time. There are so many games we're going into the fourth quarter. We're either up by two or down by ten, and our girls just chip away at it. I mean, it's... you got to tell me, what was it like in the locker room after winning the regionals? It was kind of that, just that surreal moment, you know, it... For me, I don't even think it really sunk in until we were on the bus headed to state, honestly, because yeah. we just, it was, it was one, it was after, let's see, Kinsey hit the back-to-back threes, and then we just pushed it to that lead, and we can hang on to the ball, and and uh, <laughs> that's kind of, one of one of my favorite moments from that game was that, that end piece here, and I know I got the picture on my phone, the, the Dickinson Press was able to snap it at the end hanging on to the basketball and everything like that and just celebrating together as a team and you I mean it's everything from senior to seventh grader at the time and it just kind of captured to me it just kind of captured kind of how I want this whole team put together that and then yeah it was hurry up load the bus get home do the whole spiel in Hebron gym welcome back we had the escort coming from the from the highway in, but for me, honestly, it was just, all right, I need to go home because I got to get up. Boys have our final regional game in New England the next night, where if we win that, we get a home play-in game, which we haven't had forever. If we lose that, then we're on the road again. So 
part of that regional game is I didn't get a chance to overthink having to play Bowman because it wasn't it was get done playing Bowman. All right, now turn around and go do this. All right, turn sure. around and go do. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of time to focus on uh, on one thing. A few days after winning the Region Seven tournament, the Lady Bearcats team was featured on a local TV news station, Channel Five KFYR, in Bismarck, North Dakota. I'll play a little bit of the audio there. The player you'll hear speaking here is uh, junior, then junior, now senior, Kennedy Zeroff. Well, the Bearcats played well enough to earn the two-seeded Region 7, where they knocked off top-seeded Bowman County to win the title. And now they're heading to the first-ever Girls B for either school. But it's the doubters that fueled their Region 7 title run. Most teams didn't expect a lot out of us. I mean... Preseason rank, we were seventh in the region, which was like, all right, well, we have nothing to lose. Might as well just go out there and play as hard as we can. And apparently we proved a lot of people wrong. So The Bearcats were pretty much written off after last year's loss to Trinity in the region title game. Everyone told us that that would be the only year we had a chance to go to the state tournament. So when we didn't win that, everyone's just kind of like, well, you just lost your chance kind of thing. Then things started to click. The Bearcats rolled to nine straight wins finishing the regular season 13-8. and eight. They'll have top-ranked North Star in the first round at State. Do you feel like you guys have been considered underdogs, and do you feel that that's helped or hurt you? In, in I, I think it's I think it's going to change now. I think over the last couple of years, people have just been kind of like, oh, where's this Glen Olin Hebron team coming from? <laughs> so a lot of teams just kind of check that on their schedule, like, all right, well, we're going to go to Glen Olin, we're gonna, or we're going to go to Hebron, and we're going to mm-hmm. you know work on some things we don't normally work on and still be able to come out of there with a win. And now it's teams are having to take another look at us. You think people are going to be out to get you this year then? I hope so. <laughs> I hope the target's on our back because, I mean, that's that's the way I'm going in this season is, you know, I, our, our girls, I, I think we thrive on that pressure a little bit. You know, we are, we've been put in that situation where, you know, hey, this we, your back's against the wall. you got to come out fighting. Amongst coaches, between yourselves, how does that work? Are, is there a kinship? Are you, you know fierce rivals do you talk to each other do you not talk to each other? it it kind of varies from coach to coach like i mean me be, me coaching in grant county and and knowing all the grant county coaches i mean even in new salem i've known a lot of these coaches for almost 10 years now and and get along um it's it is pretty good and and i mean i don't think there's really any any one coach out to get another coach there are some coaches that do kind of bump heads a little bit more and <laughs> like i said it just kind of creates more of a fun rivalry i know I know Kildare. I haven't been able to beat Ashley and Kildare. She's taken it to me three seasons in a row now. I just can't get her number when it comes to to playing against her. So that's kind of one where I try to prepare myself more and more. And you can tell which coaches have prepared themselves because you can see their girls on the floor know exactly what we're doing, and we have to try to adjust to it. So. Well, coincidentally, I'm interviewing her tomorrow. Yeah, she's. <laughs> I tell you what, she's she's done some some work in Kildare. She's got those girls playing another level, and and. Yeah, I, I can't. That's one coach that I haven't beat yet in this region, and, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try again this I, year. <laughs> I enjoy watching her, too. Which away gym is the toughest to play in? Honestly, I, I think the the most difficult that I found to try to find a win in, it was, Kildare's up there, but Flasher's old gym, when they had the little, they got the little old school, hmm. I called it the barn kind of deal, and, and I think a couple people have called it the barn as well, but I mean, it's it's a tight gym. There's only like four or five bleachers that go up. It's it's hmm. really, really old school. The crowd is right there on you. There's not a whole lot of room to move. I mean, it gets loud. It gets warm in there. I mean, it's... Sure. It's an interesting gym to play in, and you don't find very many of those anymore. But 
Unfortunately, I know they just they they rebuilt and added a new gym onto their new high school this year, so they won't get a chance to play uh, high school games in there anymore. But Aside from basketball skills, is there anything else that you try to convey or teach these kids uh, that you feel is important? Um, I know one big big point that we do make is is try to give back. Uh, we just finished our Bearcat Booster Camp and. And I've got seniors from two, three years ago from teams I didn't even coach that want to come back and, and help and give back and, and help. So it's for the, the younger community. kids. Mm -hmm. like we have elementary kids and stuff. Kindergarten through sixth grade. So we have we run two sessions of camp a day. And I had some seniors that came back and wanted to help out. And, and I, I enjoy seeing these awesome. kids want to come back and be a part of it. And even over Christmas vacation, when some of them come back from college, they want to come into the gym and they want to work with some of these kids and try to make them better. And it's always fun to see some of these older athletes come back and try to That's give back. So we talked a little bit quickly about Kristen and Lexi. Do you want to touch on any of your other players at this time? Or? Um, Kennedy and Kiana are going to be my only two seniors this next year that I know of are coming out. I don't know if I've got somebody else that's planning on coming out mm -hmm. now. But Kennedy and Kiana, they're, they're going to be four-year starters. Um, they're going to be very, very difficult to replace at the end of this season, so I'm definitely going to take my time and enjoy this season with them and, and sure. everything that they bring to the program and everything that they've thrown in. Um, both girls are, are gym rats. They put a lot of time in, extra time in. I know they're, Kennedy right now is in the Dominican on a mission trip, but they're also down there playing basketball, and she just got back from Australia yep. playing basketball. and. Kiana, I mean, she's up at the gym shooting with her dad and her younger sister. I mean, they're they're in the gym a lot, and it's just it's there's a lot of time, extra time put in with these two girls, and that's going to be very difficult to replace. Fortunately for me, with Kennedy, I've got her younger sister. She'll be now starting her second year with me. Kinsey, she's my sixth man off the bench, and I. I think before all said and done, she's going to grow into a, a pretty solid centerpiece that is going to be nice to build around. And then uh, my my fifth starter is Taisley Glass. And, and being thrown to the fire like that last year as a freshman, she didn't come up and she didn't, I mean, she's just kind of learning everything on the fly. And I think she yeah. did an excellent job fitting in and being she that did. fifth piece as a starter. Um you know, she's she made the commitment this summer. She's going to put a little more time into basketball and a little less time to rodeo. And for her, that's a big commitment. And and sure. it was awesome to have that come into play. Um, I, I honestly, all the girls that I have come rolling through my program here now, they they all in they have all seen the success. They've gotten a taste of it, and and they want to see it continue. So they're they're doing what they can to make sure that that continues. And it, the cool thing is, as you see it this year, my seventh graders that are coming up. They're all in on it now too. I mean, they they put together they have parents that put together travel teams. They're they're going and they're playing an extra time. I mean, there there's a good solid seven or eight girls in that class that can wow. play. And it's just it's Exciting. gonna be nice to see that build its way through. So I'm kind of hoping that we've started something here that's just gonna kind of steamroll into something bigger. Well, there was a. Uh, uh, are there any um, individual players in Region Seven that you'd like to mention or that you? Um, the the really scary thing about this region for the next year is it's going to be as competitive as it ever will be. I think there was only one or two seniors that made all region team last year. Oh my goodness! So we've got ten girls that are coming back fighting for senior athlete of the year, but are going to be positive leaders on their teams. There's going to, this is going to be as competitive as it's been over the last couple of years. Where, I mean, it's going to be 
very, very competitive. There's very talented girls on, on every team. There's going to be... It's going to be a fight for senior athletes this year. Well, as you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys play this year, and I really appreciate you taking the time, Bray Fox, for joining us here at the Dakota Ball Podcast, and I wish you and the girls all the luck in the world this season. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Basketball is getting ready for the first girls' B tournament game ever for either Glenolin or Hebron. After the Lady Bearcats won the Region 7 tournament here last year, a couple of the players expressed that they thought maybe they played a little bit better or at least were motivated by the fact that people doubted them. This is Kiana Schatz and Kennedy Zuroff. Something that I think is special for all of us because everyone doubted us. So it says a lot for us to go up and step up and win the championship game this year. We really use those motivation to want to do better. I think we play better when people don't expect us to play good. I don't know. Um... I've always kind of liked underdogs myself, and I'm intrigued by the whole concept of underdogs and, you know, why we like them. So I thought I'd find out a little bit more about what this is from the perspective of sports psychology. My name is Jason Kowalczyk. I'm about to start the graduate program in social psychology at UC Davis in September. I've been conducting psychological research for about the past five years or so, and I got my start by working on research in sports psychology with Dr. Nadav Goldschmidt at the University of San Diego. Basically, the idea for an underdog is that they're just disadvantaged in some way in some kind of competition. It can range from anything from just being less likely to win, or it could be something like they just have less resources than the competitor. It's not necessarily saying that they have no chance of winning at all. It's that they could possibly win in the end. It's just they don't have something that the other team does. If you're looking just at like one specific aspect for an underdog and it's just they have less of something than the other team, we tend to support them. That's kind of what people want to do is support the underdog. There are like a number of reasons, but through the research itself, it seems as though the majority of the time, the idea is that we tend to have a sense of justice and fairness, and that's why we support the underdog. It's that idea that uh, if you have effort and you put in all the hard work, that pays off, should be that you're winning the end or whatever it is your kind of goal is, is in the end you obtain it. Have you ever heard or know anything about that possibly be anything of a, a trait among certain cultures or so i think the idea behind it is just kind of when it comes to american culture it's a lot of it's defined by that sense of the underdog mm-hmm. i mean just when you're thinking about the american dream alone that idea of that well if you come here you put forth the effort you can attain whatever kind of thing you want to achieve that's sort of it's embedded in just the cultural ideals itself But it's not necessarily like we don't find underdog support in other cultures. It's just I think the reason why it's Mm -hmm. one of those traits that's just attributed for Americans is just it's kind of everywhere for American culture. There are how many movies out there that are just about some underdog and by the end of the movie they they achieve some great goal? Exactly. One thing I think about is the pressure factor. My junior year in high school when I played basketball, Mm -hmm. I was a sixth man, which is – you know, you're not a starter, but you're basically the first one to go into the game. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I know for a fact that I seemed to play better when I was a six man than I did in my senior year as a starter. I I want to attribute that to some something to do with this the, the dynamics of this pressure thing.
basically my answer is sort of that the idea behind the the pressure kind of pushes you farther some research when it comes to say gain or kind of achieving a goal mm-hmm. usually you want to set your bar fairly high but not unreasonably high just because it gives you that challenge to try and overcome it kind of pushes you forward to try and reach it so i mean that sense of being like well i'm an underdog these people are a little bit better might actually be well that's a challenge so i'm going to push myself but it's not something too unreasonably challenging like this person has been performing in the sport for the past 20 years compared to me just starting out is there anything you would like to say to our local lady bearcats just that I wish them the best of luck with the next season. Awesome. Thank you so much for t- being a part of this podcast, and good luck in Davis. Thank you for having me. Shades of night are falling as the wind begins to sigh, and the world is silhouetted against the sky. Shadows on the trail. Okay, that kind of wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank the following for allowing me to use uh, their audio in this podcast. Uh, KFYR-TV, Bismarck, North Dakota. WDAY-TV, Fargo, North Dakota. South Dakota Public Broadcasting. And Prairie Public Broadcasting here in North Dakota. If you'd like to send me an email, the email address is dakotaballpodcast at gmail.com. dakotaballpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep on dreaming, don't stop believing, walk tall, and please be safe.